came to mind to describe the sound, however, was not whistling. That was not nearly strange enough for the music, neither human nor inanimate she was hearing. She blinked. The trolley passed, the dust scattered, the leaves went on whirling. Something had happened. What was it? Words seemed to lag behind her perception of things this morning. Sorry messengers of a secret too subtle for comprehension. She said, I am well, but these two were inadequate to describe the disparate thing her body had become ever since Robertson had handed her the paper. She was now standing in the column of sunlight, dust whirring madly about her. Fabric, flesh, veins, nails and sunspots were all suddenly quite dazzling, touched into being by a luminescence she felt all around her. She said, Thank you. Cautiously, as if testing the words, and these alone seemed to retain some of their meaning, this strangest of mornings, though she was not sure to whom she was speaking and did not like to think what talking to herself in the middle of the day suggested. Professor Stone began to walk slowly, and then with more certainty down the long, shining corridor. Elizabeth Stone, Professor of English Poetry, celebrated author of The Dissident Corpus, John Milton and the Poetics of Difference, fellow of two bodies of higher learning, chair of two, contributor to ten journals, editor of one, was in her fifty-second year when life as she knew it came to an end. As it happened, she was standing in a lecture theatre about to demonstrate the swoon that, by communion raised from earth to heaven, the rapturous Wordsworth, when in striking counterpoint, and to the surprise of more than two hundred undergraduates, the earth raised itself to meet her. A light flashed across her brain. Her left hand dropped the papers it was holding, and the world went black. She woke to find Matthew Cullum, head of English, bending over her, saying, Elizabeth, can you hear me? She put the fall down to low blood sugar and resolved not to skip breakfast. A week later she got out of bed and the world went black again, The next morning, while she was brushing her teeth, her left arm went limp. Her hand contracted to a claw and the vision dimmed in her left eye. After twenty minutes, things were back to normal, though her arm remained weak for the rest of the day. She told no one. It was tiredness, a trap nerve, some sort of deficiency. She had had similar symptoms once with a migraine. She would get it checked out next week when she had finished the Don lectures, at the end of the month when she had sent off the paper on Dryden. The fact was, Professor Stone was used to dealing with her body's revolts. Over the years it had supplied her with a baffling array of ills, and she had become a skilled opponent of it, though it had never before behaved with quite such abandon. She drank tincture of opium when she was afflicted with diarrhoea and needed to give a lecture at Harvard, hobbled about on a stick when a bout of lumbago threatened to prevent her travelling to the John Rylands Library to consult a manuscript— woke herself up at random intervals when writing her first book on Milton to play insomnia at its own game. She prevented her hands trembling at conferences by gripping them so hard that half-moons appeared in her palms. At the time of the fall, she had just begun the long-awaited second instalment of her magnum opus, The Dissident Corpus, John Milton and the Poetics of Difference, the culmination of a love affair with the literary giant that had occupied her to the inclusion of little else for eight years though perhaps obsession should be substituted for love and battle for affair, because there were times when the combatants had come to mortal blows and it was doubtful that one of them would survive the encounter. 
Survive the professor must, however, because the grim truth was she had not written a book, despite eager anticipation from critical circles, since her first foray into Milton's hell. Though she hadn't been wasting time, on the contrary she had been researching obsessively. Indeed, towards the end the temptation was to continue researching because the thought of transforming the teetering piles into some sort of structure itself bordered on hellish. When she was sure of her argument, she began to write up her first draft. This took three times as long as she had expected. First, because of the quantity of material, and second, because of her desire to include as much of it as possible. She was contending with the weakness of her left arm and an odd but fleeting darkness that would descend upon her left eye when the headaches appeared. They were unusual in their severity, began on the left side and, if she didn't catch them early, soon rendered her immobile. Nothing, though, was as debilitating as a growing fogginess.